Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, welcome back to New Books in Latin American Studies, a channel of the New Books Networks. My name is Patricio Simonetto, and today we are talking with Professor Pablo Palomino. Pablo Palomino is an assistant professor in Latin American Caribbean Studies at Emory University. Today we will be talking about uh, his last book, The Invention of Latin American Music, a Transnational History, published by Oxford University Press. Hello, Pablo. Pablo. Hi, Patricio. Good morning. Thank you so much for inviting me to this show. Thank, thank you for, part, for taking part of it, in it. Uh, my first question is about if you could introduce the, the audience about your trajectory, your academic trajectory, and how did you get to the, to the idea of this book about uh, Latin American music? Sure, with, with, with pleasure. Um, this book is the, um, uh, the, the result of a rewriting of my dissertation which i wrote in i finished in 2014 in in berkeley uh, in latin american history um and uh, which in turn was an idea i had in buenos aires which is where i'm from uh, in the let's say at the beginning of the 21st century i was in buenos aires thinking about how to write um a good social cultural history of of, of music at, the, at that time, I was thinking about Argentine tango and Brazilian samba, the two genres that I, I knew the most and better. Um, but then at, uh, as I did my, my doctoral studies, I realized that these were bits of a larger history that ended up what I, what I call in the title of the book, the invention of Latin American music. So, you know, fr- from, from a, an interrogation about music per se, music itself, I ended up writing and researching about the, the conceptualization of the category itself of Latin American music. So in a way, it's a, it's a, uh, yeah, it, it has a history behind it. Now I, I, I may, maybe perhaps I would write it differently, but, uh, <laughs> but it's done, it's here, so. Well, it, 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 it happens. It always happens. You you want to rewrite a book, like you could you could write like infinite books uh-huh. <laughs> about yeah, one topic, about the same topic. Yes. So uh, something very interesting in the in the title of the book is this idea that you use about the invention. Uh, and I was talking to you before the podcast about why did you choose the idea of invention of Latin American music and not, for example, the making of Latin American music that will be a phrase that usually historians go through or use? Well, that's a great question. And I thank you for, for, for posing it uh, because, as you suggest, making has, the idea of making has a more organic sense, formation of something, whereas invention has the, it's more in the semantic realm of, uh, of, of, of um, tricks or, or concoctions, something more, uh, maybe more creative, 
when I think of the making of something as a historian, I think of uh, E.P. Thompson's uh, the making of the of the working class, no, the, the the formation or making of a social class, in and to itself. In the case of Latin American music, I want to I want to under underline the invention in the sense that this is the history, not of an actual thing, but of a rhetoric and a set of perspectives and policies and arguments about a thing. The readers of the book will, will, will notice that uh, I argue over and over about the differences, the contrasts, the uniquenesses, the, the, the uniqueness of each of the histories uh, that lie behind each of the, what we call Latin American genres or musical or poetic traditions. So that, so there isn't a, a thing, a school, a tradition called Latin American music that uh, we can we could identify as such. In fact, the idea of Latin American music was born and is still uh, in contention with other ideas about music in the region. Uh, you know, na- of course, national musics. No, we talk about Brazilian music or. Mm-hmm. Or, or, and also like ethnically inflected musical traditions, like Afro-Cuban music. My point is, Latin American music, it, it, we shouldn't take it for granted. We should discuss the, the way in which we dispose our ears and our, our minds to listen to certain musics as Latin American. That's, that's super interesting. Um, taking into account the, the last thing you say, how do you think that this book could contribute to, to rethink the notion of Latin America in itself through music? Well, in, in, in the same direction, I will say, okay, three things. The first is that uh, I wanted to write about the region, the making of the region or the invention of the region as, as practices, as the history of certain practices. Not as a history with capital H, not as a history of, although there are like important actors and institutions and events, but you could see this as a social cultural history of microscopic, sometimes microscopic um, practices that yet create, invent this notion of a, of a regional musical tradition. The second point is that I wanted to discuss the region not as the mere addition of individual countries, but as a regionalist project. So how from sometimes minuscule or national or, or sub-regional musical practices, and I can discuss later what, what, what do I mean by musical practices, uh, we get to create the, the, the notion of a, of a larger whole that even transcends the nations. Um, and finally, I wanted to write a transnational history. So to integrate the nation, as the term transnational contains the nation in it, Within a history of uh, of, uh, of of a region that uh, typically we take for granted, we assume that Latin America exists, and if we work on Chilean history, we assume we take for granted that Peruvian or Brazilian or Nicaraguan history is somehow related to the Chilean history we are we are writing. Um, but this is just an assumption. Uh, we don't reflect on how and why and since when these different national or regional um, paths connect to each other. So in that sense, I wanted to write 
about music, but through music, to write about how we conceptualize the region as a whole. Um, and the main... So that's why the book is a book about actors and institutions and narratives that somehow invented this idea that we share an, an identity, a regional identity, through music. Uh, the, the, the main... The counter-argument I wanted to unsettle here, no, the, my, my, the point I want to attack is the essential and sometimes romantic othering of Latin America. The ethnocentric assumption that it is a, an identity or a reality that is obvious, that, that, that has been there since the beginning of time as a natural occurrence. What I show in the book through music, and I think that other people can have or can show in other realms, is that the region is a is a project, is a is a programmatic, utopian, if you want, or more and more concrete, pragmatic, political uh, project of um, creating systems, creating narratives, creating uh, mechanisms for this multiplicity of histories and peoples and identities too. Uh, assert some kind of uh, presence, force in culture, in politics, in economics, what we call Latin America. That's super interesting. Um, and there in the book, uh, you argue that um, during the 30s, there was a, a huge change in this concept. Um, I, I will, would love if you could explain us why. Why do you think that the in the 30s, uh, the idea of Latin American music change um how do you think this concept evolved and changed during the 20th century if it there was one concept then yes i think that the 30s are the, the the key although the book starts in the well in the introduction there's a reference to the 19th century and in the first chapter to the turn of the 20th century and the first decades as you say the 1930s are the the key context uh in the 1930s uh, there's a convergence of factors. The first is the, uh, the idea of a crisis of civilization, a crisis in the, in the European model for constructing a modern society. Even our often criticized um, Europeanist elites of the 1930s, they developed new ideas about how to build a state, how to build a nation, um, in dialogue but also in contrast with with these European models that after World War I, and especially with the global economic crisis, um, destabilized the, the older notions of, of, of progress and, and modernity. So it, 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 my point is that is in, in, among intellectuals, musicians, composers, uh, cultural brokers, 1930s are a time of inventions, new ideas, a, a lot of uh, conceptual um, creativity, and a, a second, a second phenomenon is the dissemination of intellect, new intellectual intellectual networks, thanks to some, you know, technological innovations, but also through political and social um, changes that allowed a number of big I and small I intellectuals from big capitals from 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 provinces. Uh, throughout the region to read each other, to travel to through exile uh, within Latin America and, and Europe and the United States um, to read each other and think 
about the region um, in in new terms. Even even intellectuals that were ideologically nationalist or that were um, um, like formed and oriented to national intellectual or political or educational systems. Uh, so, I, so, so I mentioned that the 1930s were a, a decade of, of, of creativity and crisis of older European notions of, of culture and civilization. Then there is a flourishing of intellectual networks of all kinds. And more importantly, we have national states in the 1930s sponsoring new cultural policies oriented towards the masses. Yes, this is the new vocabulary of, of, of the time. So these intellectual networks in a context of political creativity suddenly have official resources at their disposal to produce cultural projects. And here we have like the emergence, what I show in the book, the emergence of uh, Latin Americanist musicology as part of a, of a collection of national paths towards developing uh, musical knowledge, mu- musical um, you know, pedagogies and musical patrimony and ethnographic research, um, collective singing, all f- you know, different musical practices around uh, uh, this idea of um, uplifting the masses. And this is something that is shared throughout the region by, by all, by all the, the intellectual um, establishments across Latin America. Um, so this is, this is why the 1930s and, and, 1940s, and up, up, up until World War II, this is like the, the, the most important period, I think, for the invention of Latin American music. Then in the 1950s, what I show in the, in the final part of the book, from the 1950s until today, we have a series of um, processes that reinforce this idea of Latin American music as uh, representing the identity of a world region. In the 1950s, we have all these programs of, of regional development, uh, like CEPAL or ECLA, um, among economists and then social scientists in the 50s and 60s. Uh, this uh, regional slash global agencies further develop the idea that Latin America is a region different from North America, from Africa, from Europe, from Asia. In the 1960s, 70s, and also 80s, we have a new generation of um, political and cultural activists um, who connect through the idea of, of, of revolution, of socialist revolution, especially after the Cuban revolution, with this uh, older tradition of, uh, of musicologists from the 1930s and 1940s who had already been writing and researching about the culture of the people. Um, then in the 1990s, with the, the end of this developmental and revolutionary project of the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, we have a, uh, the the emergence of this notion in the United States, the Latino, Latino culture, Latino identity, Latino music, that became influential in the past 30 years, not only in the United States, but globally, through, through the musical and cultural industry. Uh, but this, this notion of Latino 
music uh, contains elements of this, all these previous eras. So we find this notion of Latino music in you know, the area studies programs in which we work in England or in the United States. There are seeds of this previous history of, 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 social, of um, uh, research planning around a, a region considered as a, as a unity. Um, then we have uh, seeds of these debates of the 1930s, these inventions of, of the 1930s, in, let's say, the work of Manu Chao, yes, or the the Putumayo label record, record label in in the in the two thousands, and if the listeners have uh, paid attention to the Netflix documentary that recently was released by, uh, produced by Gustavo Santaolalla, Gustavo Santaolalla, this Argentine rock musician. <laughs> that now became a, a big Latino music producer, you know this rhetoric of a of a region that is organically represented through music. Even if, uh, well, in the case of rock music, like Santolasha shows, there is there is a common tradition because it's, it's the same genre in multiple countries, with you know Mexican musicians, rock musicians paying attention to art, the Argentines, the Chileans, and vice versa. But uh, this is just an example of how either in commercial or in academic or in romantic terms or a, or a combination of all those, um, this invention was very successful. It's still informing uh, the way we, we consider the region. That, that's super, super interesting because it connects uh, your book with, with uh, the present now. But, but going back to these uh, musical policies that you were talking about uh, and the role they played in the in the process of nation building in, in, in Latin America or of reshaping of the nation building in Latin America, how do you think these musical policies or, or which role they play uh, or, or what they could tell us about the race politics in, in Latin America? Well, that's a great that's a great question and it's a it's a problematic question for me in particular because. Um, uh, because of the history of the word race and the uses we we have of it in in academia, and the fact that I I I have never been a, a historian of race, but I was always a, a historian of uh, well music, culture, politics, but race was never my my main angle. In fact, race is something I rediscovered in studying in the. In the United States, no, uh, and, and there's recently my 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 professor uh, uh, Mauricio Tenorio in Chicago recently in the in Historia Mexicana. Uh, in the, there's a dossier with multiple articles on the seventieth, I think, anniversary of the of the of the journal. He wrote about how we Latin Americanist scholars, we sometimes translate Anglo words, Anglo concepts uh, without, without much uh, care as if the translation had like a pristine um, meaning. So he referred to words like race, agency, that are, are words that in the Anglo, Anglophone 
in Anglophone Academia have like a very um, dense history of 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 of, of, of cultural and political traditions being sort of contained in, 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 the, in, in the world itself. When we say raza in Latin America or race in, in Latin America, it, sometimes we need to do a, a translation. And I think that we, so maybe we can edit this, this rambling. My point is, I would say, race was and is uh, less important than the people in this history. Okay. These cultural policies, these intellectuals, musicologists, uh, of course they had racialized ideas of who their audiences were, uh, of the origins and meanings of, of, of music, but that was not the main, the main point uh, of, of, of their work. Um, race politics were part of, a, of wider political and socioeconomic programs that addressed entire national populations. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, in the case of uh, of, of tango, you will see in, in chapter three there's there's a, 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 a section on the on how the musicological uh, and the union leadership mm-hmm. uh, ambience of Buenos Aires of the tangueros in Buenos Aires in the 1930s how they debated about how national, how Argentine was tango. And the main debate there was among, on the one hand, the Hispanists, those Hispanistas, or Criollistas, the ones who argued about the native-slash-Hispanic origins of the Argentine folk, the Argentine people, versus these uh, tangueros, these tango musicians and organizers that, were in many cases the children of uh, of immigration, of Italian immigration, sometimes Spanish immigration, sometimes Jewish immigration. But the terms of the of the debate were around even it it it, it, it even if the debate had like a rac- uh, racializing tone at times, the point was between us and them and them, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Native-born versus foreigner. Honestly, race is not a, an, a useful category in that debate. Well, um, but th- I think that's that's a huge contribution. Somehow, if if uh, if problematize the the uses of this concept, even if the book the book don't explicitly problematize, but uh, but uh, it it does a, con- a lateral contribution to rethink mm-hmm. these processes in their own terms. You no, know? like in this in this sense, uh, it's another way of contributing to this uh, kind of, of 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 debates. You're right. In fact, if 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 we if you pay attention to the cover of the book, uh, we have Neymato Grosso, the great Neymato Grosso. Uh, he's representing Latin America or South America. In the Rock in Rio festival in 1985, he dressed up as a as an as an Indian, as an archetypical romantic Indian. No, so you can see race is always part of the conversation, like ethnic and racial identities. Of course, I mean, think of Afro of Cuban musicologists or Brazilian musicologists. The Africanness of Cuba and Brazil is always central to the conversation, but the points and the terms were not were less about race than about political inclusion of 
um, multiracial, multi-ethnic um, populations of, of artists or audiences that were intended to become Cubans or Brazilians or Argentines. Of course, of course, it's completely valid and necessary and legitimate to write other histories that show how these nationalist attempts at inclusion contained like racist, central racist elements in them, so forms of neglecting on denying or erasing or invisibilizing uh, entire sets of the population, entire histories and languages. Uh, but that's a different, that is a different history. And in fact, I would say that if anything, what, what the invention of Latin American music shows is how in these political, pedagogical, cultural programs, a variety of subaltern, neglected identities were integrated, showcased, um, even embraced, as, as in the title, as in the sorry, in the cover of the of the book. So I'm not I'm not arguing that race is not useful or is not important or as some people say, uh, it's not an issue in Latin America. To the contrary, to the contrary, it's, it's absolutely central, but central in a way that is that is not necessarily the way we would assume through a, a an Anglo academic uh, perspective on the on the term itself rasa i know that that this might be polemic and and no no i think it's fantastic and i think like okay i think what you were saying is very interesting and contributes a lot to avoid projecting historiographical discussions from other latitudes to our context without thinking about the other other ways of of in which this this process of a racialization can be working and can be creating other kind of conflicts and and that's that's interesting it's not polemic it's polemic in a good way <laughs> um, uh, I I think so um, also I'll go, go like go into the next question um, that, that I think fantastic about your book is how by t- taking one topic you can open discussions in, in multiple axes of Latin American history uh, and something that, that is very interesting and sometimes is not uh, very well analyzed is the relationship between Latin America and the United States and in your book you you talk you, you wrote you wrote about about it about uh, th- this relationship and I, I wanted to ask you what this book can tell us about this conflictive relationship between the United States and Latin American countries through music. Well, thank you. That's a, that's a great question. And uh, you're making me see that, yeah, the United States is present throughout the book. Like in, in every chapter, the United States is playing some kind of role. And the fact that we are, that we are uh, having this conversation in English, <laughs> it's a, it has to do with, uh, it already tells us how the conversation about Latin America is mediated by the United States and by, by, by the, the English language perspective on, on the region. Uh, at the beginning, I would say, at the beginning, in the 19th century, early 20th century, uh, in the United States, Latin America was this weird, not very known uh, other. Yes? Uh, in fact, you see that in the, in, the, in, the, in the books that were published at the time, uh, South America is more frequent than Latin America as a term. And South means from Mexico downward. Yes, so like South of the 
of the Rio Grande. Uh, no, the, the, the America that is not the America, the U.S. America. Um, then, uh, by the 1930s, the problem of Latin America from the U.S. perspective was that um, Latin America was too European. In, in, in the musical scene, Latin America was too close to the German and Italian musical traditions and musical actors and institutions. Uh, this is why uh, the Pan-American Union that had been created decades before began to develop a music section in order to uh, consolidate you know, the, the good neighbor policy. But also there was an actual attempt by New Deal musicologists like left-wing Rooseveltian cultural brokers in, 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 in the United States to create a really a pan-American musical brotherhood or a musical system. And there's an entire chapter on, on this, on how Charles Seeger uh, developed a series of programs of, uh, about mus- exchanging musical scores and tours and music education and conferences and publications. Uh, around this idea of music of the Americas. In this sense, Latin America was just one part of a larger whole, which is the Americas. But then, once the United States won World War II, they emerged as the victors, and they virtually forgot about these programs. And they, in fact, used them to develop their global agendas, many many of which became part of UN projects, like UNESCO, this is a history, you know, it's part of the history of the U.S. deploying its uh, global reach after World War II. But Latin America had, uh, uh, in Latin America were planted some of the seeds of that global ambition. Excuse me, that there's noise here. Then... Um, but then, since then, since the 1950s on, as we know very well as historians of Latin America, the United States developed a, a, a well, it, it had already done it before, but it became a more clear, uh, like an imperial relationship. We can define empire in multiple ways, but this is clearly an imperial relationship in terms of um, in terms of the, the very forms of knowledge that the United States developed about Latin America. Um, markets and, of course, military and intelligence uh, policies. Um, But you're asking me about music. And I would say that uh, what's more important about music in this history is the fact that um, Latin American immigrants became, uh, in the past uh, 50 years, the largest immigrant um, population in the United States, no? the largest minority. It's like close to 20% of the U.S. population nowadays recognizes its origins somehow in what we call Latin America. And music was essential to this, to, essential to identifying, othering, romanticizing, including marketing this population. Um, so you, can, you see how 
we have like a, a century of U.S. Latin America relations that can be approached from the angle of of, of, of musical practices. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, uh, continue. Yeah. No, no. From, from yes, from 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 the Pan American Union to to Gustavo Santolasha uh, recording albums in Los Angeles or Miami, and um, and I was re I was watching the other day this other it's not Netflix it's HBO I think this movie In the Heights it's a musical about Dominican and and Latino in general immigrants in in part of uh, of New York um, and yes this is another attempt at, at, at making sense I think that the movie is not not really successful because it's um, well it's not the point is not the movie but um, the music is well. It's a musical film, so somehow to discuss Latino identity in the United States, whatever the perspective, whatever the argument, whatever we like it or not, music is central to it. Then we could discuss what what music is used there. No, it's basically you know it's Puerto Rican or Afro-Cuban music that stands for the entire Latino. Um, identity, because there are Mexican flags and, and South American flags there in the neighborhood. Of course, this is a silly movie; it's romantic. Uh, but um, you see how m I would say music is central to the to the images of Latin America in the United States, and central to the very images that Latinos in the U.S. produce of themselves. And because of the imperial relationship between the United States and Latin America, it, music is central to the way we in Latin America, in, let's say in Argentina or in Uruguay or El Salvador, how we see each other as part of a, of a, of a common tradition. Mm. But again, this is, as you can see, a series of inventions rather than something organic. I, I was, was thinking while writing you, your book about, well, the, the challenges of doing a transnational history that complicated uh, thinking especially in history and archives if you it would be interesting if you could talk a little about which kind of documents you work in the book how how you address them uh, and also something that for me was very interesting that first before reading the book I, I was expecting to read more musical documents in search like songs like I was expecting I imagine first well this is a book about Music, so it will be a book about a book about songs, and I found that you were working a lot with text-written documentary mm -hmm. sources. So, if you could talk about this this dimension of the book, would be would be interesting. Well, that's a great question. Uh, I'm I'm a historian, no? So I work I work primarily with written documents. Uh, although I I used to. You know, every time I found a document or, or, or developed some of the threads of the book, I, I I looked for the for musical traces too, to just to listen to and to include here and there some references. Um, you know, music is something that is part of my my everyday life. Um, but you're right. This is a this is a textual based uh, book. Uh, well, I developed it in in dialogue with many, several like uh, ethnomusicologists or you know people who do a sort of an anthropological 
take on music. They are like the like cultural historians in a way of music. But um, the reader will find in each of the threads of the book documents that reflect some kind of musical practice. In some cases, those texts, uh, those, those textual evidences that you mentioned, refer to poetic traditions. In other cases, they reflect the idea that some composers or some musicologists have about what's the proper or the actual, or the original music of a certain people. Um, you will find uh, in these texts uh, evidence of how the states saw music as a way of shaping societies. You will find how music was central to the formation of the revolutionary armies of the Mexican Revolution, mm-hmm. um, of, uh, of cultural diplomacy during World War II, um, of, of, of regionalist rhetoric since the 1950s, uh, or how intellectuals in the 1920s and 1930s traveling Europe found out that there was a thing called Latin America, through the rumbas or tangos that they enjoyed in, in, in cabarets or, or dance clubs in let's say, London or in Berlin. So in a way, it's, it's because this is, not, this is not an encyclopedic take on Latin American music. This is not a book on with a taxonomy and a history of each of the genres or, or traditions within Latin American music. No, this is an intellectual history of a category, Latin American music, as part of a larger cultural history of how musical practices shape our understanding of the region. So it's a... Um, uh, how to explain this in, a, in the title of a book <laughs> in order to, to, to avoid tricking the, the readers, the, you know, the, the, the shoppers, the book shoppers. I, di- I, I didn't know how to do it. Um, but you know, I'm sorry no, if you if, if you didn't have the music you, you were expecting to to have. No, no, no. I, I think that, that 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 is amazing. Like how you can do a history of how we experience music through textual documents, and I think that's a huge contribution to think uh, 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 cultural history of Latin America and cultural history in general. Um. I was going to ask you something related with this cultural perspective that you were talking about, but uh, something I really enjoy about your book, uh, what I think is, is attractive for many things beyond history and uh, of, of, about people interested in Latin America in general, is how you introduce cultural critics and cultural study into into the film. I'm thinking in particular in the figure of Carlos Monsivais, for example, uh, that you are all the time we're, we're talking about Mexico, bringing him as a uh, and somehow in the middle between a documentary sources and at the same time a scholar with, with which you're you're establishing a dialogue. Um, how do you think that this kind of, of production could be integrated into historical narratives and analysis about Latin American cultures? Well, that's, a, that's I, I'm I'm very glad that you noticed that that because we historians typically read each other, but we don't necessarily read anthropologists, sociologists, literary critics, or cultural critics. And because they do 
stuff differently. They do other stuff. Um, and, you know, professionalization demands from us like a specialization in a certain field, in a certain narrative form, and a certain tradition of texts. But I think that um, what I, I love reading intelligent minds in, in other fields, and especially when, if, you know, my goal was to understand Latin America as a region, I, I, I needed to go beyond my own, my own historiographic field. So yes, Carlos Monsiváis in particular is, is interesting because he wrote in to, the year 2000, I think, a book called Aires de Familia, um, in which he sort of says a little bit what I'm trying to say here, but he said it 20 years earlier in, from a different angle. And of course, he's more like a, an ensayist. No? He writes essays that are like, seem like a bit more loose than our supposedly you know, tight, controlled academic arguments. But he shows how uh, in, at the level of popular poetry and through cinema and the radio and uh, literature in the first half of the 20th century Latin American readers and consumers and artists be, you know, slowly began to share a sort of commonality, this aires de familia this sense of relating to each other around certain tropes of melodrama uh, certain forms of spiritualism Spirituality, sorry. Um, um, I mean, brief uh, cultural tropes that you see circulating. Uh, and, and he, in fact, pointed already to the influence of Hollywood in this, in this circulation of forms of femininity and, and masculinity and, and, and forms of love and passion that began to inform the everyday experience of, of, uh, of Latin Americans. Something that is like Beatriz Sarlo in The Empire of Sentiments, El Imperio de los Sentimientos. It's a book written in 1980-something. She already showed how, you know, this, this, this young girls working for the first time in an office in downtown Buenos Aires and taking the tramway would learn how to see themselves and enjoy their, or, or suffer or, or process their sentimental and, and, and sexual lives through these folletines, no, these, these serialized stories that they that were read in, in, in magazines. These are insights from other forms of cultural history uh, that in the, in, in the case of this book, I, I, I learned from uh, and I dialogue with because I found out that in Mexico and Brazil and Argentina, which are the countries that I when I conducted most of the research, um, music was a was an was an important topic of of, of conversation for all kinds of actors, um, and and traces of these conversations can be seen now in in other fields, no? in other in other books. I don't know if I'm answering your yeah, your I, I think you're, I think you're doing pretty well, um, and just to finish or to 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 lead some more present conclusion to think uh, with your book um, I was going to ask you no no taking into account what you were talking about the explosion of Latin American music and Latinx and uh, in the in the Anglo-Saxon scenario but in all the world even in Asia we know now that Latino music is in the top charts for example in Spotify 
like, what do you think uh, about this explosion of Latin American music or Latinx music? Or um, if there is any connection between this um, this aesthetics that you you described there in your book that are these people are trying to bring together to to create mm -hmm. this this notion of where facing a new a new explosion of new aesthetics related with with the idea of being Latin America or being Latino in the US mm -hmm. what do you think about it well that's a great question because it introduces another concept Latinx which like race or like any other concept or Latin American music itself as a category it requires a proper situation no a contextualization I would say Latinx, in my experience as, as, a, as a teacher and, and, and citizen in the, in, in the U.S. nowadays, um, I mean citizen in the, not as a bureaucratic category, but as, a, as a being, developing my life there, uh, um, I try to be a good citizen in the, in the general sense, of course. Um, I would say that Latin, based on that experience, Latinx, is a is a an identity developed by a a new generation of activists and thinkers and but very young people when you look at the at the you know demographic research and who how people identify what terms people use in the United States to identify themselves or their their group latinx is Dominant is more more clearly focused on uh, young people, like and and young people at in college. So there's a there's a quite specific origins to the term. This is a, a generation of uh, not not even millennials. I would say like Gen Z people who are growing uh, politically in the United States seeing the how you know racial sorry racist structures white supremacy um, the legacy of, of 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 racial inequalities are shaping their own lives and uh, and learning about the history of the specific history of latin american relations with the united states and latinx i think is a is a direct product of this uh, consciousness Uh, which is also inflected by a new sexual and gender uh, set of politics with the X pointing to the, the indetermination or the fluidity or the openness or the, inclusivity, the inclusiveness of, 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 of gender. Um, now, this demographic political conversation uh, sometimes connects with the evolution of the musical markets in the United States uh, that are developing this um, with people like Santolasha and many others, the Grammy Latinos and, and many other labels and, and, and institutions developing an idea of, uh, of Latin America as a, as a label, Latin music as a, as, a, uh, as a commercial label. And also, as you pointed out, The U.S. music industry developed a global system of this of musical commerce and dissemination through Spotify and, and, and other soft yeah forms of software for music consumption. That it has like you know rippling effects all over the world. So in this way, 
U.S. concoctions of what they call Latino or now Latinx music um, connects with the understandings of what Latino or Latinx means in Latin America, in China, in Europe, in Africa, in Asia in general. Um, so th this is history in the making, really. So I would say, Patricio, that your 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 this this final question points to what can we historians contribute to current conversations about what is Latin America? Totally. <laughs> uh, well, Pablo, uh, thanks for joining us. Um, I'm very excited, and I invite all the audience to buy this book to read it uh i think it's a good a good an excellent contribution especially for for teaching latin american studies and latin american history so thanks thank you patricio gracias a vos it's, it was a pleasure